Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast dedicated to our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. everyone, I'm Kama, and you can find me at Oxford Splice on Twitter. And today we're going to be covering John 5 of A Clash of Kings, and I am joined by Devin. Hey, this is Devin. You can find me at GD Harpo on Twitter. And Guile. Hi, this is Guile, and you can find me at Door Podcast on Twitter. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we spoil everything. Um, I don't think we have any triggers for anything real nasty today, but, well, it's Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, so you've been warned. Um, so this is not a terribly, um, this is one of those exposition-heavy chapters, so I think I'm just going to talk through it, and then we'll discuss. Um, John wakes to the blast of a horn when we're reminded that it's just everyone's listening for two blasts because two blasts means um, wildlings, three God help you is others, but it's just one, which means rangers are returning. And everyone's been waiting and they've all been kind of tense and nervous because they're kind of waiting for the wildlings to make a move. And the men all have varying opinions about what just what kind of a threat that represents. But um, it's just one right. It's just the Rangers coming back, and it's specifically it's Corin Halfhand, and I think I'm saying that right. Um, and he is so named because he has a hand that only has a thumb and an index finger on it, um, and partly because of how he lost the rest of those fingers in an attack against the Wildlings, he's got a reputation as being uh, quite the badass. Um, he's been in. They've had like. Their little uh, altercation, I guess, with the wildlings, and it was mostly su- successful. They did lose some people, um, but John notes that despite the success of the mission, uh, Corin sounds worried. So actually, I don't know if we want to pause here, talk a little bit about this, or should I just keep plugging away? Well, I mean, can we talk about maybe the best Dolores Ed moment in the books? Go for it. When he, when, so, I don't, I, sorry, but, like, when they're making food for the returning rangers, and, you know, Ed's kind of in charge of it, and he's boiling some eggs, and, you know, they're super cold, so he's like, I jump in there and, you know, boil them, and he says he would wish it was wine rather than water. And that some brother drowned himself in the wine, but it was, you know, really poor vintage. And John's like, you drink the wine? And Ed says, it's an awful thing to find a brother dead. You'd need to have a drink of wine, Lord Snow. <laughs> it's just so great. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of the best Lord yeah. Ed moments. Oh, he's great. He's a fun character. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can just tell George has... You know, George has just a love of writing him without, you know, any, like, I, obviously he likes writing, like, Tyrion and Jamie and stuff, but, like, they're a lot more complex with Ed. He can just, like, have a lot of fun, clearly. So, 
Yeah, maybe that's why we don't have wins is because, you know, we feel like Ed's probably going to die. So maybe Ed is keeping, keeping Ed alive is keeping the book from coming out. Yeah. We may want to actually talk a little about that at the end too. Um, <laughs> so things are, are not going real great morale wise. And as John's going amongst the men, you we, we hear some conversations that are super important or will be important later. And John isn't sure what to do. Um, he's hearing some conversations among them. Uh, one of the, uh, less, uh, attractive people of the watch chat, um, <laughs> is holding forth. And there's the distinct sense that Mormont is losing the support of some of his men. And John overhears some stuff, but chose it, chooses not to, um, pass it on. Um, and we also learn that out of the, um, cache of dragon glass and the horn and stuff, he's made a couple of dragon glass daggers and passed them out to a couple people. He gave the horn to Sam, which is cracked. Um, and he's passed out some of the other things amongst his, I guess, friends. And we get, yeah, Oh, go ahead. I have a que- I have a question about the horn. So I guess, you know, in earlier reads, it never quite, like, I guess it never, I never captured that they tried to blow the horn. So, um, you know, what is the thought around what someone needs to do or to be to get noise out of the horn? Or is it just that it needs to be repaired? Or is it like you need to be magical somehow to blow it? Because we're pretty sure this is the horn of, of is it the horn of Yoramon, like the one that's supposed to bring down the wall, right? There's some debate on that. Yeah, there's there's quite a bit of debate, and actually, Ancient Octagon on Reddit they ask, um, do you think the horn of winter is the one Sam brought with him to Old Town, or is it somewhere else? So, bringing in the question, this horn here um, that they found as well, like what, where yeah. is it? <laughs> I mean, because Mance has that horn with him as like yes. a threat, right? I mean, I'm going to go by the Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade theory of the horn being like the most humble, um, like the true horn being like the humblest, like brokenest thing. So I feel like based on that, it's, it's Sam's horn. But I mean, literally based on Indiana Jones. Well, that's entirely possible that that was a... Um, I don't know enough about like musical instruments to know what would be required <laughs> to fix this. Um, well, cause wait, what do, what does, um, doesn't Victorian have something? Is, yes. Oh no, that's the, the dragon binder horn, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dragon binder. Okay. Well, and, and just, just. Lending credence to your theory, Guile, uh, Indiana Jones, I think, is well, like, ten years before Clash of Kings is written. So it's entirely possible (laughs) that that's where he got the influence from. And, I mean, I can't, to be honest, I can't remember what a description of the horn that that the wildlings have looks like either. You know, it could just be as, you know, inconspicuous or whatever, too. I don't know. We, I know in a previous chapter we... We came across the horn and we talked about it, and I can't remember what we said. <laughs> that was well, it was the, well, wasn't it that in the in the lore 
this horn, like this big horn is supposed to be like eight feet long or something. So there's, you know, no reason to believe that what Sam has is anything important except that, you know, they found it with a bunch of dragon. You know, they found it with a bunch of other things that would be important. Yeah. So, Mance, you know, so I'm on the wiki yeah. um, and Mance has a horn that's eight feet long. Oh, OK. OK. But whether it's the same one or not, I don't like if that's the, yeah. if that's the horn of winter or not, I don't know. And it seems, you know, it seems relevant to me that this horn that Sam has is kind of far away from the wall and that it's safe in a way. I mean, it might not be safe from year on and, you know, future books, but like if something's going to happen at, you know, let's say we go back to our hypothetical discussion where like the entire battle against the others happens at Heron Hall, you know, on the Trident, on, you know, in that area. Like, it might be important then for, like, weapons, whether that's people or, you know, the horn, to be away from the wall because, like, that's not where the, that's not where the final conflict takes place. So on the wiki, it does say regarding um, the, okay, what Sam has is called the Old Warren Horn. Old okay. war horn. Say that ten times fast. Um, and they have this here with no stores, so I'm, it's saying some readers suspect, so what, they got that on Reddit, I don't know, that this broken modest horn may actually be the horn of winter, the horn of, horn of Joramon, and they surmise that it may have been broken purposely or even warded so that it cannot be blown in error. So like, oh, okay. That's a, I mean, I don't know if that's well, based on and, anything, but like, it would make sense that if you had this super powerful thing that you wouldn't want to just casually, you know, have anybody come across it and start blowing it and waking giants and stuff. Well, and then you give it to Sam, who's someone who is literally in a position to be studying that might learn more about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like we're led to believe that the one man's has is the horn of winter, but actually isn't um, just because of the way they even talk about in this chapter that he's planning on like he he's going to knock They're the wall looking. down. Well, how? Um, and that the feel like the, that the um, horn could bring the wall down. So that could be how he's going to do it. But yeah, I don't think so. But then I they definitely think Sam about, has it. Yeah. And they're talking about how the men they captured seem to be, talking about how they think Mance is looking for something. So if he already has it, what is he looking for? Unless, you know, he doesn't have the eight foot horn yet. It seems like it'd be, you know, hard to miss that. Well, and that, that does come up because like in the next bit, the last bit of the chapter. So John hears Mormont hearing the reports from Corin, which is basically, um, the wildlings are definitely on the move and, Corin thinks that Mance is looking for something. And the implication is that it's supernatural that will help breach the wall. Yeah. So if that's that. Um, and basically, Mormont's hearing all these reports, and then he says the king needs to be warned, and then they're like, which king? And he's like, well, I guess all of them, which that's got to be. And then they're, they're surmising that they're not going to do anything. They're not wrong about most of them. Um, and then... There's this emphasis that, you know, the watch is, is definitely down as far as manpower because of the 17 castles along the wall. 
which they describe as being 100 leagues, and I looked that up, so it's like 300 miles. There's only three of them that are manned. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, Corin needs wants to go back out there, and um, he wants more men, and very specifically, he asks for John. And John is asked what he wants to do, and John says he wants to go. Do you think Corin... Oh, God, sorry. No, I was going to say, that's where the chapter basically ends. So, do you think Corn knows more than he's telling Mormont? Because he's so resigned to death in this chapter. Like, he's all, well, you know, if we die, we die, and we buy more time, and, you know, I totally want to go and die. Please die. I'm very interested <laughs> in dying. Like, is it because, so we're not going to feel bad when John kills him? Or is it like, he is like, well, I think we're super doomed, and I just want to, you know, I want to get my part of it over with. It's sort of like, you know, if the nukes are coming, you want to be in the blast zone type of thing. I got like, he's just so deathy. I got he, he, <laughs> go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. Well, he is. And my thought, like, I went the other way. I was just like, he's just the guy that gets it. Like, he's just, he's here for the watch and this is what he's here to do. Yep. And if he dies, he dies. That was more my take. Not that he knows more than what he's actually telling, but I do like that look, um, that he's, that he knows more and therefore, yeah, why not just get my part over with? I know what's coming. I I got one that he's a pragmatist and he's like, okay, this is what our job is. You know, this is realistically what we can expect, but we got to do this. But I don't know. I mean, your, your view is just as, as valid. Yeah. I felt really sad, like, re- you know, thinking, reading this, thinking, oh, this is the last time that John, you know, this is the last time he has any interaction with Mormont, you yeah. know, like, he's not, this is it. And it's like, you know, poor John losing yet another, I mean, essentially, I would say a father, another father figure without, like, you know, he never gets a real goodbye with anyone. Yeah. I don't know. It was mostly, I, I felt it was like an expositiony chapter. I think its purpose is to establish that Mormont and his men are not in a great place, that the watch is not in a great place, to set more stuff up about Mance. Yeah. And then to and very much stuff in about the, the, the cash. I thought it was like, there's a very, you know, there's, he, there's a really nice sense of foreboding throughout the chapter. Like, it's kind of, it's, it's like an, you know, it's a scary chapter, like an early scary, an early chapter in a scary book, um, which I, you know, you know, again, like so many of Brienne's chapters and Feast feel like that too, and it, I, you know, kind of like it. Yeah, it definitely is, especially in the beginning, the way, um, the suspense of it. Yeah. Where he's writing like after the first uh, horn sounds, um, the first blow, and then it's like the anticipation of another and maybe another. Um, cause I'd compl- I completely forgotten this chapter. Well, it's just them returning. Um, like I yeah. know that already, but even just the suspense of reading that chapter again, very, and then even the, um, Chet's the over John overhearing Chet, just more foreboding of mm-hmm. what's to come. Yeah. And like, you know, kind of, you know, the next time we see Chet is what in the prologue of a storm of swords yeah. too. So, I mean, we, you know, whoa, like, yeah, when we when we re up with these guys. It's pretty freaking intense. Yeah. And, and um, even speaking of Chet, so we have um question from Buckle here on Discord. 
question is, why is Chet's mutiny so difficult to detect? Well, I, you know, I, as someone who does my fair share of grousing, although mutiny has never really been the thing in my life, um, you know, sometimes people are <laughs> complaining to complain, you know, or it's like it's pertinent to what you're doing. And is that what's going on here? Like, because that could be. Right. And I think and the complaint to make sense. So right. like, why not? We really shouldn't have done this. We're losing men. This seems like a do, you know, but it, it for most people, not the chats of this world, but for the people like us, it's a big jump from, oh, this was a really bad idea to let's kill the leader and take, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, no one complains more than Ed and he is. And not for, you know, not for one second do I think that Ed thinks about, um, about a mutiny, you know, like that's kind of the irony of it is like the biggest grouser is, you know, completely loyal. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be bitching the whole time too. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Just every single thing. <laughs> and I mean, John's more like us. John is, is like, you know, a normal, decent guy. He's not going to. I mean, John's to- way. He's way better than we are. I mean, Corin's like, oh, John, come with me on this semi-suicidal mission, which I'm clearly <laughs> telling you we're going to die. And he's like, yeah. Oh, he couldn't no, fucking yeah. wait. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Oh, and now thinking back to what you said um, about does Corin just know, like, well, wanting John and then specifically even to point out Ghost. So, yeah, yeah what does, what more does Corin know? You know, because he's taught, you know, he's definitely acting like it's a suicide, like it's a suicidal mission. But then he specifically wants a Stark and he wants a direwolf. It kind of leads me back to that great Reddit post about how the others are specifically looking for a Stark and how they were all over Waymer Royce in the very first prologue because for a time they thought it was a Stark. Oh, interesting. And that is and an I- idea that I love. Yeah, I know. I love that. That theory is like, you know, makes so much sense to me. And maybe that's part of this, too, is that for whatever Korn knows or doesn't know, like, it's important that he has a Stark. Hmm. And maybe who knows what, you know, who knows what happened with Benjamin And, you know, like, maybe he knows more about that, too. I mean, we never find out, of course. But, yeah, maybe there's a little bit, you know, a little bit hidden inside our half our half hand. Yeah. Yeah, something with Stark blood, which look, yeah. which is the thing that leads me to believe that Benjen is alive in some capacity. I mean, I hope so. It just seems like, I mean, if he wasn't, if he was dead, then why don't we, you know, find him? But, you know, I guess, you know, there's Bran north of the wall now, too, so, or soon. So. Did we have yeah. any more questions specific to the episode, or? Not specific to the episode, um, does anyone else have anything to say or episode, um, chapter? I mean, does anyone else have anything <laughs> specific to say about the chapter? I babbled enough. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Do we want to, um, so since the last time we recorded, um, uh, George Martin, uh, <laughs> threw some, uh, gasoline onto the fire. <laughs> Basically, I don't know um, if everyone's familiar with this, but he um, he's got his not a blog and he basically posted back in uh, March of this year 
that he's got all these projects in the fire, irons in the fire, and basically he will he will get wins done at some point, but he doesn't understand kind of why we're so... He feels sorry for anyone who only cares about wins. And uh, Fandle blew up a little bit for a bit. Yeah, I mean, it's such a tone deaf like a tone. Oh my god, you people only care about the main thing <laughs> that's not done? You don't want to have, like, all of the detour? Like, it's just so... It's very entitled, incredibly whiny, and completely tone deaf. I One of the things that really pissed me off, because I've totally, because I've been kind of, most of my body's been out of fandom for a while, and um, when I heard this, I went and looked it up, and I came across a couple articles, and in particular, there's one from the AV Club that I just saw right at, which is basically like, they're like, well, there are all these other things and there's this show coming out on HBO and there's, and you know, and it's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, I don't want, like, I don't want another appetizer. I, you know, I haven't had my meal, so I'm not interested in dessert yet. Like you gave me, you know, it's like you gave me a steak and you're feeding it. You know, you're not, you're feeding us is a terrible analogy. Uh, basically, I just want my meal. Well, it's it, and like I okay, I'm a procrastinator going back to birth here, and I get it. I get all the things you do, and I really think that's one of George's big problems. But like, I know that I own it. <laughs> I don't blame other people, you know, for my issues or act like the fan. Like to me, it's the acting like the fandom are the unreasonable ones here. When the guy who hasn't written one of the fucking books in like what 10 11 years, years, 11 now? years this, at this yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, you know, we're not the problem. You're the problem. Yeah. And I think that you can solve the problem. <laughs> yeah. And not even just, Oh, you go ahead. no, no. I mean, that's it, it though. I mean, like, why, why are you blaming me? I mean, I'm not the one. <laughs> can't write the damn book right. yeah and it and it's not just it's the everything else that's come in that time that he's done and it's like the, the seeming glee come on and not writing the book and not right yeah. yeah yeah like just give up i mean i've given up so put a, put yourself out of your misery i guess that's as generous as i can be to him so we talked about it <laughs> <laughs> expect more whining and bitching um but uh, i mean maybe not like i feel like i've you know like why should well, i cease to care like i think if i had just read his announcement i could have just gone oh george oh george you sweet summer child and like maybe been a little bitter and resigned but then i'm reading these articles with these people shilling for hbo and it's like and these other books and i'm like okay look why are you his apologist now? Right, right. That's a good point. Like, there that, are the apologists. That really pissed me off because I'm just like, I'm the consumer. If I don't want to consume what's out there, it doesn't mean I'm the problem. It means you're the problem, you know? Not not the media, but the people providing the content. And it's like, I don't It's want... amazing how... Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how capitalism is just everything until, you know, it <laughs> turns on... Right. on the producers 
And then they turn it into cancel culture. And it's like, no, that, yeah. that isn't how capitalism works, guys. If I don't want to consume it, it's that's the problem. You've got to make yeah, something like, else. I'm not, I'm not interested in canceling George R. R. Martin. Yeah. I'm just not interested in his work other than wins. And, you know, if he came out with another Dunkin' Egg story before wins, I wouldn't be mad about that. Right, but I don't need... I never liked the Targaryens. They're, they've always been a minor part of my interest in the story. I'm particularly not interested in non-modern era Targaryens. I don't really care, you know, about who's got what shade of Claro Blonde. I, I don't. So. <laughs> you know, he's been, before this HBO store, before this HBO show or whatever, you know, he was probably like stalking the aisles at Walgreens for like the various shades of blonde and the hair color aisle. I'm like coming up with ideas, casting directors and producers and costumers. I'm sure about how it's got to be, and like they're not gonna pay any attention to that anyhow. No, and I mean, I you know, one thing that seems like a positive for. Um, you know, I've barely paid attention, honestly, to any of the House of Dragon stuff, but my understanding is that they have a much more diverse cast. So at least there's like a little bit of positive, um, you know, some positive there. Well, I mean, I watched the trailer. I'm not going to lie. I might give like the first episode a shot, but none of the actors particularly appealed to me. And it's not characters that I particularly care about. So, you know, <sighs> And, and it's kind of like it's there. It's there. And I'm really overwhelmed. I'm really not that interested in his other projects, except maybe a Dunkin' Egg book. But you know, he he should have just either shut up or owned owned up to I have a problem, or or like <laughs> you know. But blaming us for the problem is is not cool. Yeah, like. Of all the parties that have a bit of blame, I feel like I personally have zero percent blame in this yeah. situation. So <laughs> literally yeah. none. Uh, I'm not the one dragging George out to play, you know. So, um, did we have any other mail? Yes, we do, and it is a rather long one. Um, so let's get ready. Um, there are a few questions mixed into this as well. So, um, hello, ladies, and now permanent gent. I've been listening to your podcast for about a month now, starting from your post-season eight JB reread, and I'm loving it. Going through your game of read with all of the reposts mixed in is quite surreal. One moment I'm experiencing early plague times with you all again, and the next you're all devastated that Trump won. Laughed grimly when you were speculating that it would mean bad things that D&D was directing on uh, the last episode of the show. Oh, what times we were in. <laughs> um, you inspired me to read the books again so I could catch up to you all on that questions. And now I have. I might be a little too late for some of these chapters, but I'll try. So for the King's Landing, King's Landing riot chapter. I love Marcella and Tommen with my whole heart. And the best thing about um, GRMM ever publishing um, Winds of Winter is that I will never have to see them die. I'll add Shireen onto the list of good kids I adore who are marked for death. Do you think there's any plausible way that they make it out alive? Fake out death so there's a golden shroud but nobody. I'm grasping at straws here. And if not, how do you think they'll wind up dying? Tommen's too young to have show Tommen's reaction to the sept of Baylor exploding, which I kind of think will happen. Thoughts. And Alaria would never hurt Marcella. 
with Tyene. I sadly think Stannis will sacrifice Shireen. It will just not be over three days of bad weather like on the show. Why does George hate genuinely wonderful kids so much? What did they ever do to him? I think if we ever get wins, I do think Tommen's dead. I suspect Marcella might Agreed. survive. I wonder... I mean, when I've gone back and reread, it's clear that, you know, like, it... it he was setting up the stuff, it seems like, for Shireen. But then I wonder, like, he sort of hinted that he might change things. And I kind of hope he would change that, but I don't know. Oh, I mean, I I mean, I hope. I mean, it's, I like Shireen a lot. And I like Stannis. But, I mean, I feel like. This is just me. You know, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean. I, I think that moment of Stannis, like, you know, oh, my God, I have to do this. I have to make this horrible, I have to do this horrible thing to a person, you know, to my daughter in order to save the world because I am this special person. I am the prince that was promised. And then for him to do it and it to not work. Like, that is, like, the thing that I think has to happen. And again, like, you know, I like all of those characters, but I think dramatically that's, like, where where I would think it would go would be there. Yeah. And then, you know, I feel like, yeah, Tommen's probably going to get poisoned, and I think Marcella's going to die. You know, I think, like, for the Lannister kids, I think it is, like, it kind of goes to, you know, the the same thing with Lady Stoneheart. Like, you know, yes, the Martells, and the, the Martells are going to get their revenge, but in a way that is horrible, and it's, like, pointing out, like, the stupidity of of that and like not I guess stupidity is the wrong word but like the evil of revenge for revenge sake like that like nothing is going to bring back you know Elia and Oberon and you know Elia and Oberon and Rainies etc and when we get you know Ilaria's beautiful speech in the books about that but they're just going to do it anyway yeah I don't know what George has against the kids I think he just you know he set out to try to like subvert tropes and that, you know, sometimes the good characters die, you know? But I think that the kids are sort of unambiguously sympathetic deaths. Yeah. And, I mean, to me, that's probably why. Yeah. Okay. Um, To continue, for Arya's third name chapter, what are your thoughts on why she didn't come forward with her true identity to Roose Bolton and Robert Glover and those guys? This is one of those things that I think they actually, the show actually handled better. I understand keeping silent during the escape attempt, but when Bolton, Glover, and Frey publicly ask her who, um, who she is and why she doesn't reveal her identity, which she could have easily confirmed, which she could easily confirm by rattling off all sorts of personal details about Rob and Cat. Even if she was afraid of one being treacherous, surely it's a safe bet that now that three northern lords know, they'll have no, no choice but to send her to her brother and mother. At that point, Ruth probably would have would have sent her back to you. Although he might have pulled something even, then still, then I still don't understand why Arya would have reason to mistrust them. I guess George just needed to make her stay alive, but it still seems sloppy. So... Chicky's not on this call, so I can see this. I I wondered about this too. I mean, when I first read it, and I think like uh, when the show did, um, they changed it up so that uh, Arya became Tywin's cupbearer. 
there were all of these fans like positing why Tywin wouldn't recognize her because she looks like a Stark and blah, 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 which is kind of garbage because like he probably hasn't been north in like forever. Whereas Bruce Bolton has seen Lyanna. He knows the Starks. Theon, I mean, like the kid, like Rob and Theon have encountered him before. It seems logical like that. Of the two men, he's more likely to recognize Arya than Tywin. And I, I did wonder why she didn't identify herself. I mean, she does know like the Northern Lords. So I'm just assuming it's plot-wise. Like a kid, you know, George just wanted us to not be questioning this because he needed her to stay like not with her family. But it does. I agree. It seems a little sloppy. Yeah, I also wondered, and I agree with you, like, it does seem rather sloppy. Um, the only thing, the only thought I even had was just, well, maybe in the back of her mind, <clears throat> just because of the promise of Jack and that for some reason, or that the promise of maybe finding him again one day that she doesn't want to say who she is or for, it, it, it would fall apart very quickly. Um, that was the only thing I could think of is, something relating to the coin her having that from jack and at this point and so i think this is the last part yes um i know you don't re-record the cat chapters but now that brianne's in them i just have to pose this question what do you think um what do you think of the idea of loris tyrell and brianne of tarth as bffs hear me out they both loved renly and hated stannis and they are both excellent fighters who actually care about honoring their vows I can totally see a best buds trip go murder Stannis together, complete with posing over his corpse and a post on Instagram afterwards. Sure, Loris said disrespectful things about her to Jamie, but Jamie himself was just as disrespectful to her in the beginning. I think if Loris and Brienne were on a quest to avenge Renly together, he would soon see the error of his ways and come to respect her immensely. Loris and Brienne as platonic besties feels right. And can you imagine the fighting duo they'd make? They could take down the mountain. I don't think we'll get to see them together ever, but it was a true misconnection in my opinion. P.S. Is Loris dead? I, I don't see how you can recover from boiling oil in your armor, but the fact he's been notably on the verge of death for so long makes me hopeful. Beautiful cocky night of flowers left alive and physically fit, yet horribly disfigured, seems like something George would do. If it did happen, it would make the Brienne and Loris friendship friendship even more fitting, by the way. Thanks for getting back to me. Um, thanks for getting me back into this fandom again. I do a bit of med- medieval reenacting and your podcast has kept me near constant company every night while I've been sewing myself a pair of leather shoes and linen tunic. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Italia. I, I mean, I've always assumed that Loris is like his injuries are um, overstated. Like, I don't know. I, I Like, if they're, if he was going to kill him, just kill him, you know? Just kill him. I definitely think he's still alive because it just keeps being brought up yeah. what's happened to him, but no status on how he's actually doing. So I definitely think he's alive. I mean, I feel like Loris and Brienne could be friends, but I also feel like um, – Brienne's too ugly for Loris to be friends with her, to be brutally honest. Like, he seems like the type of person that, you know, he would never post anything on Instagram because he wouldn't want her on his Instagram. But, like, 
He might be okay from with a, it now, now that he's... <laughs> maybe if he's disfigured. But yeah, I mean, they do share, you know... <laughs> Obviously, they both train that sword, you know, they both train that swords and have that discipline. And I, you know, I always go back to thinking about, um, you know, I think about Laura, you know, the two scenes of Loris, which, of course, we never got in the show are, you know, him on his knees begging Cersei to basically go on a suicide mission, you know, so he could eventually, you know, help his, you know, help Highgarden. And then. You know, the idea that, I mean, he and Renly talked about a secret place to bury Renly if it all went south and that Loris, like, you know, went there and dug the grave himself, you know, like, just that, like, depth of, like, the depth of that relationship. I mean, you know, Brian, you know, Brian didn't feel that way about Renly. She didn't know him, but, you know, she's obviously capable, I think, of, of, of having those feelings and, you know, so yeah, I mean, I don't know that they would ever be friends, but I do, like, I would agree that there's a lot of commonality between them. Book Loris is, like, just awesome. You know, like, I really like him. I love that our commenter is, is an, a reenactor. <laughs> I think that's kind of cool. Oh, I know. Yes, well, I love that as well. <laughs> it just made me think of Hawkeye and how much I loved all of the, all of the LARPers and, like, that little side plot in the show. Yeah. Do we ha- is that it for mail? Yes, that is all the mail. Well, if you would like to send us a message or question, you can do so at close the door and at gmail.com, or you can send us a message at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. You can tweet us at door podcast, uh, which Guile has co-opted. <laughs> um, we love reviews. Yeah, that is really shitty of me, isn't it? I, no, you know. but I mean, like, I'm sure if someone tweeted us or messaged us, you would take care of it. Yes, I would. I, Of course I would. Um, we love reviews on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to us. Um, please consider reviewing us as it helps new viewers find the podcast. We also want to thank our Patreons on patreon.com slash close the door. Thank you to your panel, and thank you for listening. I'm closing the door. Get out.